Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And on today's show, I'm in conversation with Miles Ashton. Again, sitting by my side is my canine producer, Teddy. Uh, he's sleeping right now, or if he awakes, I apologise. So today, I'm in conversation with Miles Ashton, sound director at Ronnie Scott's and all-round jazz good guy. I'm told by his sound crew that he has the best ears in the business, but since this is just an audio cast, you'll have to take my word for it. But, yeah, I don't know, his ears look all right. I mean, a bit lobey, but perfectly formed. So, Miles, hello, how are you doing today? Good morning, Chris. I'm doing okay. So far, so good. Lockdown lunacy treating you all right? <sighs> well, yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> so... You're Ronnie Scotts for several years, but I'm quite interested to know how you got into the jazz game in the first place. Well, I started doing sound with the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, which is the band that my father started back in 1965. And I started with them when I was about 15, doing helping them set up and used to hang around in the studio when they were recording. And that's how I got into sound. And by the time I got to sort of leaving school and university age, I was already too busy to consider doing anything else. So it's all family business and you're the unpaid apprentice? Um, no, so I was being paid when I came and did the gigs. Wow. Because one of the things Nigel did was always pay like a junior sort of professional band, even back in the day. So uh, I did get paid for the gigs. No, it wasn't a great amount of money, but it was absolutely a thing that they paid everybody. Uh, that's a really important thing I think um, <clears throat> I remember the Musicians Union having such an impact but actually caring about young musicians as well especially the ones that are going to come professional and it's so important yeah they, they, they had a special rate for Nigel as well yeah. they didn't it wasn't full union rate but it was understood for Nigel what they could afford you know yeah and was that gig the one in Ryslip I mentioned that last week I think that your um, dad used to they used to do something. a residency firstly in from what I remember back in Wembley in a pub um, and then it moved to Harrow, um, to Rainer's Lane, to the Rainer's yeah. pub there, and then subsequently to a couple of different places, three different places in the general Ryslip kind of area, Ryslip Golf Club, and then the rugby, no, sorry, football club, which is now Wheelstone Football Ground, right. was there for years as well, and the, the Conservative Club. I mean, there's several places where they've done big band jazz in Ryslip. There's quite a scene there, although the audience is getting older and older. Right. Well, ain't that the truth about the whole scene? Yeah. Um, quick one. Didn't Amy Winehouse sing it with Joe back in the day? She was did. That, that was that was in Rainer's Lane. I was I was there. I remember it. What her first gig type thing? Or yeah, first she was fifteen, and it was the first time she ever sang in front of an audience. Yeah. I mean, did you could you see the talent then? Well, I guess she wouldn't have been in the band unless she. Yeah, I, I I do remember it. It was you know, and there was a, quite a succession of young singers that came through that band. I wouldn't remember all of them, but I remember her just because she sung a really hard song. Right. Which I do. We do have a recording of it. It's never been released, but um, it's uh, it's in the archive. There's four tunes that Amy sang in that pub. Amazing. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that probably people forget about uh, Amy Winehouse is that she really was very technically competent, despite what you may think that it was all just a breeze, right? That she could sing. Absolutely, yeah. No, she was. She could do it from straight away. But she's one of those people also that just opened her mouth and it came out. You know, it's not like that didn't involve an incredible amount of training in her case. She was just she was technically competent because she was very talented. Right. The um, so. 
I didn't get into other things and whatnot, but I'm just curious because you're a sound guy, right? You must Ooh. have listened to a lot of people over the years. Daft question, maybe, but what makes a nightmare artist as opposed to one that's terrific to work with? What 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 are the things that they do that make you go, oh my gosh? Well, I mean, my experience of the higher end of artists is that they're generally all really good and they know what they want. Yeah. Whether somebody chooses to be a pain in the ass on any particular day, they might be having a bad day, is, um, you know, that's up for discussion with various different artists who I could name. But essentially, I mean, anybody that's a serious asshole yeah generally has got a problem about something else and they're covering up for it you know the really good ones are all great and is it normally then when you're like doing sound checks and whatnot is it the musician who drives it or do they bring in lackeys to do that and they just rock up at the last minute or i mean what what's there's, the there's no there's no rule about that right some some people are very controlling and want to hear everything yeah. every instrument in the whole band and other people just do their thing and I mean particularly with the jazzers I mean I find in the more commercial and music world pop rock and what have you that everybody really cares a bit about what they sound like whereas in jazz you've got this kind of polar thing where they either really really care or they don't care at all they won't even stand playing in the right direction playing into the microphone and they couldn't care less they're just doing their thing and it seems like in jazz that's very polarised there's not many people in the middle who kind of care right but you know oh, I can't remember now my brain's gone uh, West Coast uh, saxophonist and he, he, he died recently but he last time I saw him play he refused to have any PA at all um, I think that was with Ronnie Scott's yeah some um, people are Phil Woods Phil I can't remember it'll come yeah, back to Phil, me Phil Woods great player yeah. oh wow anyway mm. so what's exciting you right now about UK jazz scene what makes you go you know what this is sounding great or oh that's one to watch that type of stuff that's a, that's probably it's a very difficult question to ask me what excites me about now yeah um i would I'm why is that is that because you have a, a head in yesteryear and you're always or you're not asked to think about what's coming up or just... um it's more the fact that i i like all music and i only really like to make a, a value judgment about something in terms of the quality, but I think it's done really well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't dream of pigeonholing a lot of the music that's around today, and I don't have a particular artist that I would single out that massively excites me right yeah. now. I find a lot of what I hear that other people get excited about quite derivative. I kind right. of reference it back to something older and go, well, that's not really new, is it? It's new to you. Yeah. It's not new to anybody that has heard blah you know that's so often the case right I mean we can do a, an hour's discussion I'm sure about what is originality in any art form yeah it's, it's an interesting an interesting point sorry to dodge that question but no, it's, it's, dodge. You know. it's honest isn't it mm. so I'm curious about this as well because obviously we're here in Watford and based around London and the UK and then you know more widely Europe but obviously jazz emanates in its purest form from the states is mm. there a massive Gulf or difference between working with US and European jazzers. I mean, um, I think any? I think that I would be wouldn't be wrong to say that European jazz is is. I think the musicians who play it are generally a lot more serious. Huh. It's kind of a lot darker and a lot more serious and, and arty. I think um, generally, I find that a lot of the American artists that I work with appear to be having a better time. 
right. put it that way. There's there's definitely you know the whole sort of Scandi miserable European jazz scene. I, I I understand why people say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's because they possibly aren't doesn't float their boat. They don't hear the beauty mm. in in it, so they say it's miserable. Which is sad, man, because the reason I ever attracted to jazz in the first place, from the very first thing you listen to, if you were lucky enough to hear something that's all right, but in my case, it's sort of Louis Armstrong and the Hot Five and all that, it just sounded upbeat and chipper. And from that point forward, you tend, I think, to gravitate towards, not Americans naturally, but you hear the joy in everything. And it would always surprise me that people aren't finding true joy in, joy, joy in jazz. That's not to say, you know, you're not going to be reflective when you're playing the blues or, or, or other pieces, or as you said earlier, like when you're having a bad day, but broadly, the art form is just like, in my mind, it's sort of happy, joyful experience, right? Absolutely. Music ought to bring joy, in my view. Well, it ought to stoke emotions. Joy, hopefully. <laughs> Hashtag Jazz Watford <laughs> makes you smile and all that. Yeah. Um, come on then, best Ronnie Scott story ever. How long have you been there to start with? Well, I first went to Ronnie's as a sort of, in my late teens, saw Arturo Sandoval play. Cool. This will be Not a bad first gig. This will be late 80s, I would say. And um, the first time I went there to engineer a band was Barbara Thompson's Paraphernalia, and that was probably around 1990, I would say. Nice. And um, I never really got out of there fully after that. That very first time I did a week there as a guest engineer, but I met Chris Lewis, who was the house engineer at the time, and yeah. he more or less within a day of me being there said I'm going on holiday in two weeks time do you want to do a week here in the club and I'm like uh, okay you know really? and, yeah, and turned up you know to mix Gonzalo Rubel Carver or somebody like amazing a week later and after that the old men you know Pete and Ronnie were always there and they always feel safe when you're around son you know and that was how it was from then on really I've never been the house engineer there we've always had an engineer that I used to like interview people and get the house engineers and I was always there doing the pre-production and yeah. sort of overseeing things you know which involved faxing and phoning America and stuff back in the day it's much easier with email and all of that stuff sure. these days yeah but like Pete and Ronnie back in the day when you were then starting there it sounds to me in that beautifully disorganised style that it was just like we're, this is going to be good but actually how we get there it's not necessarily a professional smooth thing where we're ticking boxes they're, they're putting trust in you and We'll let the jazz do the talking. Yeah, was that a bit of a, a no? No, a, I mean, I think that's fairly that's fairly standard. And one, they were tied to their booking policy pretty rigidly. That they booked a band for a week, and they booked a support band for a week. And Sundays was shut, and then subsequently Sundays had a separate guy putting right, on right, one nighters. But that always led to the fact that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were going to be pretty empty. And right. Thursday, Friday, Saturday were going to be the bankers, you know, and they, they often didn't even break even on gigs, but, you know, they, they did it for the music. So, yeah. yeah. And of course, today, that's all had to change a fair bit because the world's much more competitive, much more content out there, and much more people trying to draw your buck. But Ronnie's, in my mind, still has the the essence of that in it by the fact not least they employ a joker like you uh-huh. yeah, the so spirit, you know what I mean? The spirit of Ronnie's and the family atmosphere of the staff and everything about what the place feels like hasn't changed radically it's yeah. probably a bit nicer than when Ronnie and Pete were you know I, I could tell you hundreds of funny stories involving them especially Pete it's very difficult to tell any story about Pete without swearing a lot because he did swear a lot right um, but you know they, don't ruin my podcast very, I have to tick exactly. the does it attain offensive but, words know, very very funny Ronnie was an incredibly funny very dark man and Pete also was a very funny guy <laughs> so you know 
Yeah, I told you, Teddy yeah. is definitely here. Teddy agrees. That, that, that's bleeping out, bleeping out the C word there. So whether it's Ronnie Scott's or not, we can venerate the institution all day as well. Um, but whether it was there, what was the best gig that you've ever seen, whether or not you're working on it? What was the thing that went, you know what? When I get to the end of my days, I'm going to look back at that one. There are so many. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's just, I, I, I mean, in order, I have no particular order, but there's, you know, even doing an LWT TV documentary about Ian Jury and the Blockheads. Yeah. Ian Jury was just an incredible day. When I, but that was very early on when I was very young and I'm just staring going wow it's Ian Jury you know but it, listening to the gr- some great instrumentalists in their prime like Michael Brecker playing as, as good as you ever heard him play from first note of the sound check to the last note of the last gig yeah. and you're like wow you know I know lots of saxophone players think he's the master but hear him play live you realise it's gold everyone a winner you know so, so if you watch someone like Michael because I mean I've done it plenty of times mm-hmm. on video and one and obviously listen to him back to front as a as a sort of student when I was much younger the you can be fooled into thinking it's a sort of robotic automaton play because you're like oh we're running the fingers and you break it down and you can hear almost every note mm. and you're like my god the brain that's trying to do that and yet when you see him play live it's like he is playing from somewhere he's not just doing scales up and down is he I mean it's a real no no I mean I've, I've, amazing found, I've found it quite amusing because actually back in that was mid 90s I would say and yeah. in the period from the sort of early 80s to the mid 90s every young saxophone player was impersonating this guy yeah. and playing his licks or whatever you want to call it you know his language and yet you heard him play and it was all twisted and backwards and like it was like you could hear it was him but it none of it was in the same order because it was coming out of him yeah and yeah. you're like oh wow you know this is like that's the real deal yeah right? exactly that's proper gold yeah so then you also mentioned Ian Jury if you're like because I think again when I think about jazz there's often a a, a vaudeville element to it a show element and you hear someone like Ian Jury but the George Mellies etc Humphrey mm. Littleton's the type of people who present not just with the music but with the story as well do mm. you sort of have a soft spot for the for the raconteurs as well as the yeah the, the great the great entertainers yeah. you know who have got the language of jazz as well yeah. but, but they're basically storytellers and entertainers and Melly was a classic example yeah. in the, these days in, in Ronnie Scott's Ray Gelato is a great example of right. that great you know entertainer proper showman right yeah I mean, watch his Christmas show mm. any day of the week mm. a nice guy as well right yes absolutely yeah. get through a lot of cigars though <laughs> cigars <laughs> are obligatory <laughs> Oh dear. So last week, I um, might have made a mistake, but I said what I thought. I don't even know what I mean by a comfort album. But anyway, a go-to album that I was talking about, I was saying, you know, I really rated Shree's Signs. This is a specific time in my life, you know, yeah. sort of a student and whatnot. I rated Signs. I rated uh, Loose Tubes, um, uh, Open Letter. Just yeah. I just love everything on it. I loved all the players on it. Mm. And I was lucky enough to see them when I was about seven or something. And it just blew my mind. And I went, I knew I was onto something good with jazz. <laughs> and then the other one was Alanis Morissette. Just because for me, again, you know, I can hear so much music, but I hear the session players on that. And so much. Jack it's not just about jazz. Yeah, yeah. It's just a fantastic yeah. album. That's an everyone a winner album for yeah. sure. Yeah. Now, if I'm going to ask you, you can all three of my albums out but I mean what would be your three of a specific moment in time because I mean it's impossible I think to say well these are the best three albums ever but you can often put yourself and go you know what in the late 90s or last year narrowing it down to three is very tricky I mean if I, if I have to make a list of my favourite albums of all time for you know there's reasons yeah. technical reasons sound yeah. music whatever I mean the Night Fly by, have- the Night Fly by Donald Fagin 
probably top of the list for both sound and music because that's a work of a pure genius. So hold on, let's stay on number one then, the Donald Fagan, that's... because you're saying it's not just the, the musicianship, it's the sound as well. And I'm interested yeah. in you. Can you li- ever listen to an album and just go, oh, the sound's shocking, but the musicianship? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't ever listen to a bootleg if you didn't right. have the way to listen through the the sound you know but no some something like the night flight is a, just a perfect album is there's it's brilliant Every, there's no track you'd skip and it's just a great record musicianship the right. com- you can bank that and then yeah. two and three i mean i'm going to assume because i i figure you like i mean I'm, i might be wrong right. you'd have a count basie in there or you'd have a big band at some uh, sort, the atomic right? mr basie is definitely right up there and that's actually quite a strange sounding record from a sound point of view you know because of building an early stereo recording huh it's a single I think it's a single mic stereo recording but it's yes it's actually if you listen to that on headphones it's actually quite odd to right. listen to discombobulated yeah it is I mean that, that's a great record The Atomic Mr. Basie that's, a, yeah, that's yeah. an absolute I mean if that's not in your collection banker. Um, get it for me I mean Heavy Weather by Weather Report Joseph Zawinul and all, yeah. the, all the crew. Um, whether I would, you're a bass player, right? Yeah, that's, and that's, that's got some proper. Possibly Jaco Pastorius's finest. I don't know. I would probably, if I was going to pick something with that school of musicians on, I'd probably pick Shadows and Light by Joni Mitchell. Ah, live, nice. live double album by Joni Mitchell. That that's an amazing, amazing album, and the band. Yeah. Behind Joni is Don Elias playing drums, Jaco Pastorius playing bass, um, Michael Brecker playing saxophone, and Pat Matheny playing guitar, Lyle Mays playing keys. And I just love this, right? That's just like, that's an absolute A-lister band playing behind Joni Mitchell, and the album is amazing. And I love that. It's the true crossover. I mean, I was once yeah. in a, a wine bar somewhere, Bristol, and um, it was just like a jazz quartet. No, nothing amazing about it so to speak but it was like really good jazz I got chatting to the bass player after that I said hey you know you're quite good you know not in a patronising sense just like what's your story he's like oh you know I'm, I'm the bass player in Port said this is just a, like this is what I like to play though mm. it's like that's so interesting do you know what I mean that, that there's always been this seamlessness I know we started with Amy Winehouse and we spoke about several yeah. things but this movement I guess between rock and pop and jazz and when I'm talking about jazz junctions it seems to me these are the stories that prove the point that jazz can be a starting point or indeed a returning point do you yeah. find that with pop I mean do you get asked to record and do sound with pop musicians and rock yeah, musicians of yeah of course you know and there's I'll do whatever whatever I'm asked to do generally shameless <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> even podcasts um <laughs> right how long we've been chatting good bloody we're up to 20 minutes um so it's occurred to me um that I need a house band for my podcast Right. So, and I thought you'd be the best person to help me start that band. So, this is your challenge, Miles. Okay. I'm going to start, and it won't necessarily stay this way, but I'm going to start with a simple seven-a-side jazz band. Your rules are simple. I want three horn players, and I want a back line, piano, bass, and drums. Mm-hmm. You can have a freestyle extra musician, whether, I don't know, vibes or a singer even. Who, who would have thought? Um, and the only other rule to set the band up is you've got to have one musician who was active before 1940 and one of the musicians who's been active since 2000. Otherwise, it's free range. So, who's in the band? So this is Alive or Dead, then, is it? Yeah, of course. Right. It's fantasy. Fantasy jazz band. Okay, so for musicians who are active before 1940, I think we're going to have to have Duke Ellington in there. Nice. 
So we can start with the back line then. Yeah, Duke Ellington on Maracas. There we go. <laughs> What's the previous um, chancel thing? There. And the, uh, the Count Basie Orchestra on Triangle. Thanks, guys. <laughs> exactly. I watched the Count Basie documentary from BBC Four last night. Fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. I watched that last week. Yeah, it's quite it's tearful, great. actually, at moments, because he's so honest. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's Watch really it. good. It's on iPlayer. It is on iPlayer. Yeah. So, you've got a piano player. This is, this is a start. Well, that's because you told me I had to have somebody before 1940. <laughs> well, you've got him. Now you can just live the dream. Who's on bass? Well, I'm going to have to have Jaco Pastorius on bass in that case. Nice. I, bet. I wonder if they've been cross paths. Um, who knows? Someone might tell me that. Um, um, they were both alive at the same well, time. Correct, right? So, yeah. Drums? I mean, Drum. we've got to have a drummer. I know many people would question it, but not me. I'm okay, going my fancy band on drums. We will have Steve Gatt. Ooh. Now, he's. He, I don't think he's controversial. He's certainly steady, but he's a, a the session musician's session drummer, right? From what I understand of the world. Yeah. But he's a proper jazzers drummer. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And you think he and the Duke would have an understanding? Yeah, just listen to "Smoking in the Pit" by Steps Ahead. You don't have to go any further than that to hear Steve Gadd playing actual jazz. Yeah, know. right. We're happy with that. I think that's pretty strong. Yeah. I don't think anyone can argue with that. Front line. I'm going to go a reed player. And there is obviously only one correct answer, but you can have a shot. What a reed player? Yeah. Um. Well, I'm going to go for the great British alto player, Peter King. Ooh. I mean, I'll take Peter King. I mean, it's unfortunate for Sonny Rollins, but I'm going to get him in another day, I'm sure. Okay. But Peter King, excellent choice. Mm. Excellent choice. Didn't see that coming. Trumpet? Trumpet. We, um, I think, there's a tricky one. Trumpet. Um... Cogs are turning in the Ashton uh, yeah, brain it's just, right just now. Yeah, just one. The trumpet, I think, will have Dizzy Gillespie. Nice. You've got to have a showman up front. Mm. So you've got Dizzy on trumpet, and then you're going to have a slide. You're going to have a trombone player as well. Trombone player. Um... This is a house band, don't forget. We need someone that's going to be, like, reliable. Reliable? Yeah, but none of your jokers. <laughs> <laughs> Dear, oh dear. Um, who do we have on trombone? Perhaps we should go... Don't forget, you've got to get someone who's, who's still playing today. Still playing today. Well, okay, we'll have Mark Nightingale on trombone. Nice. Then. Nice little Nigel reference yeah. point as well there. And a very nice chap. So there you go. So I've, I made that six so far. So we're now missing a, a, an extra element. Do you want to put a bit more rhythm in there? Do you want to put a bit more colour? Do you want to have a... Singer, choice is yours. You can have another saxophonist if you want. There's no, there's no rules. Um, I think um, I'm going to have a singer, and I think I'm going to make it Leanne Carroll. Oh, what a soft! I didn't see that coming either. Vocals, Leanne Carroll. Yeah, she's in the band. Yeah, maybe the greatest. British wow, British jazz. Yeah, and that's really lovely to see. We've got quite a nice balanced band there. We've got what three Brits. We've got three Americans and uh, Jack Pastorius, who I guess is American as well, wasn't he? I'm trying to remember. Sure, is yeah, he from... Brazilian? No, no, he's yeah. from Florida. He Fort, Fort yeah. Lauderdale, yeah. Cool. So we've kept it proper US-UK there. Yeah. And we'll see what will happen in future, in future episodes. So in future episodes, now I've got my house band, I'm going to let uh, other guests change just one member 
of the house band if they take exception with any of Miles Ashton's choices, mm. um, unless they're really angry with the lineup, in which of course they don't get to change anyone, and they're they're showing straight out the, the jazz front door. So, finally, mm. um, as you know, I'm trying to organise a jazz festival for Watford, the Watford Jazz Junction, mm. WatfordJazzJunction.com. If you're uh, if you're interested, or at Jazz Watford, if you're on the Twitterverse. Yeah, um, and I was speaking quite a lot about Shri last week um, about how excited I am that. But I know that you've toured with him before. Sure. Should we be excited, or should I be as excited as I am? Because I just, I just love watching him play you, live. He you just makes, yeah. should always be excited if Shri's in the room. He's an incredible musician. Um, he's a very, very good friend of mine, and um, I did front of house for Bad Marsh and Shree back in the day. We did Montreux Jazz Festival and Glastonbury Jazz World Stage and all kinds of great great shows all over the world around the time Science was released yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I worked with him before that when Dancing Drums was um, out and then Science was released and you know I, I still work with him now it's, he's, he's a, an old old friend now and I never saw him early days as sort of an out and out jazz musician but I guess he's not an out and out any type of musician he's just yeah a, I mean he was, he was always into it though he's he, he if you you know if you seriously bludgeon tree he, he can play you a cassette of him playing jazz when he was about 18 Blimey. In a, in a trio in Bombay you know he did he was into that even back in though Shree loves all manner of things like Deep Purple and kind of rock music and was in an Indian rock band as well when, it. It, when he was a kid you know but um yeah, he's uh, he's 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 one of the good ones, and the genre that he plays in is never taken for granted. You know, did, we did a project with a brass band. Which um, one was that then? It, with a Hammond Saltair brass band, he she wrote a whole commissioned suite for for oh, them right. for brass band. And That's the one where he started started working with Ben Castle, right? Yeah, Ben did Ben did yeah. Ben did the arrangements on yeah. that, but I mean. You know, it, from going quite heavily into Indian classical music as well, yeah, yeah. proper crossover into drum and bass and DJ kind of areas, and and the jazz thing is has had a resurgence for Shri. You know, the yeah, the, yeah, the project yeah. that he's done most recently with Burger Wesseltoff producing is an album which is much more heavily centered around jazz rather than yeah and that's the letter that yeah. based on Jazzland that we were yeah. talking about a bit last week and Shree was playing with Booger and a couple of other people in a project called OK World which is more of a world music kind of yeah. project the last few years and um, yeah, Booger's produced that album for Shree and it's um, yeah it's quite a departure I think a lot of people will hear, feel that that's quite a departure for Shree as a release thing but it's it's very very him yeah I was going to say it makes sense to you I see you're nodding absolutely yeah. you can see the journey right but again, yeah. that there's someone I think a great artist to have in our first uh, festival because he's mm. if, if someone sort of sums up junctions, it's Shree. Absolutely, you know, yeah. It's like a tree climbing all over the place. Amazing. Well, mate, thank you very much for uh, for, for joining me today on this uh, second uh, jazz uh, what for jazz junction. God, I don't even know a name. Your own podcast. No. Um, it's been a delight. Teddy has approved, um, which I better let the producer into the garden now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Come back anytime, man. Thanks so much. Good. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.